As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the Big Football Show, a podcast from The Athletic about the about Big Ten football. This is Scott Docterman and I cover Iowa. Today I'm joined by Audrey Snyder, our esteemed Penn State football beat writer and fellow Spotted Cow enthusiast. We're going to spend true. most. That's <laughs> very true. true. <laughs> We're going to spend most of today's episode talking about the Nittany, Nittany Lions. Uh, from last season's lows and then highs to what lies ahead for Penn State this fall. And then we'll also kind of chatter about the Big Ten. Uh, Audrey, it's a pleasure to have you today. Uh, how are you doing? And uh, what is that noise in the background? Happy Monday, Scott. Um, welcome to late May. I feel like May's like flown by, which is good. Yeah, my neighbors decided that this morning would be a great time to get a bunch of trees removed. So if you hear any buzzing or anything like that, it's not me losing my mind. Uh, it's just some tree removal happening in the neighborhood. Great. Well, I tell Love you it. what, yeah. if, if there are any Pennsylvania lumberjacks that need work, we're still in, in, in Cedar Rapids, which is about 20 miles north of where I live. Uh, they're still removing trees because of last uh, August's derecho which was the most devastating natural disaster we've ever had. But it just happened to coincide with a Big Ten football shutting down, so nobody knew about it. Uh, but <laughs> there's, I think there's 45% of the trees in a town of 200,000 people were destroyed. And, and every, every school, elementary, middle, and high school in that district had damage from it. So uh, if there are any lumberjacks wanting to get work in the spring, by all means, head west. We're, I say I'll, I I'll send them out your way, Scott. Probably should have done it this morning, right? Yeah, preferably <laughs> at 7.30 a.m. would have been great. Yeah, right. So uh, I I look back at uh, Penn State's 2020 year, and it was, uh, needless to say, it was pretty wild. I mean, four and five, it couldn't have been more down than up. You lose Penn State loses its first five games for the first time ever. Yep. And then uh, rallies to win its last four. And I want to kind of see what you think about this little assertion that I have here is that that loss to Indiana really threw them for a loop because the way the schedule laid out, not only do you play Indiana and lose by a fraction of an inch. And I think if the play was called the other way, it wouldn't have been reversed. Yes. Then, then to play Ohio state next it just kind of completely ended any thoughts of a playoff or anything else. And all of its goals were shot and it just seemed to be in a funk when it got beat by Maryland and Nebraska, two teams. I thought uh, Penn state was better than frankly. Yeah. And then they lost to Iowa. Iowa was a pretty good team last year. That's not the worst loss in the world, but the scheduled layout just broke the wrong way. Uh, what did you think of that first month ish? of the season, the first five games, and, and why did it all kind of go wrong for the Nittany Lions? It was ugly to say the least, Scott. I mean, it was uh, the worst Penn State football I've seen in my decade plus covering the team, of course. I mean, you don't get to 0-5 and have many style points doing it. But yeah, I think you're exactly right with the schedule. I mean, 
I was there in Bloomington uh, to see the Michael Penix play. And I mean, I still, I, yeah, you've watched the replay, I'm sure as many people have a million times. And like, it's, to me, it's clearly the wrong call. And like you mm-hmm. said, had it been called the other way, um, they wouldn't have reversed it. And so, yeah, that definitely snowballs. Then <laughs> then you welcome Ohio State into Beaver Stadium, which usually is like your marquee whiteout game. And I think kind of the, the crazier thing in this, if you kind of look back at it bigger picture wise, Penn State had that Ohio State game circled, right? That was probably mm-hmm. going to be the whiteout. You theoretically, before the pandemic, you were going to have Micah Parsons. This was going to be your shot to take a big swing at the Buckeyes. Well, of course, Micah opts out. Then you have no fans in the stands, just parents. So you have no whiteout. The atmosphere is completely blah. And then you lose to Ohio State. It just steamrolls. And I think the biggest thing that you can kind of take away from that 0-5 stretch is the quarterback play was really bad. Um, Mm -hmm. Sean Clifford struggled, was turning the ball over a lot. So, okay, you go this year. Well, what's going to be different? Um, To me, kind of the interesting thing then this year is – all right, Penn State opens September 4th at Wisconsin. My birthday, have a lot of spotted mm. cows, hopefully the night before, um, depending <laughs> what time the game kicks on the 4th. Right. And then next, like the following week, then you have Ball State, and then Auburn comes to town. So if, if Penn State drops week one this year, you know, is kind of that snowball effect still on the table, uh, we'll have to see. But yeah, to me, had they won last year, I just am very curious how the rest of the season plays out because then you don't have to deal with, okay, you're 0-5, then maybe you lose, you still would have lost to Ohio State, then you're 1-1 as opposed to 0-2. And yeah, so last year was just a disaster on so many fronts for the Nittany Lions. Um, And I've already made this very, very, very bold prediction, Scott, um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that Penn State will not be as bad this year as they were last year. Very bold, (laughs) right? Yeah, that's incredibly bold, Audrey. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, uh, you know, there, there are other predictions we'll probably put in the top 49 and make that one number 50, I would say. Yep. But uh, you know, when it comes to Big Ten <laughs> football, <laughs> but I, I do think, uh, you know, yeah, I think you're right. I, I watched, you know, the team play those games, whether it was, uh, you know, on on DVR when, when, when approaching Iowa Penn State week or just, you know, in live in a couple of situations. And it was just like, I, it, something wasn't clicking is what yeah. I kind of thought, especially on offense. And uh, Sean Clifford, who I thought was a pretty good player, I, I guess I look at him, you know, and I don't know if looks make it this way, but I've kind of looked at him as like the Andy Dalton of Big Ten quarterbacks. Oh, man. oh what and, a that's that's not what you want, right? Right, right. And it was a bad Andy Dalton early, mm-hmm. and then Will Levis, who uh, I know was. Uh, you know, kind of a heartbreaker for the Hawkeyes when they recruited him and then Penn State came in and um, whisked him away, uh, came in and looked okay, I thought. I thought, okay, maybe maybe they're going to make the change. And then they went back to Clifford. Um, what happened with that quarterback situation and ultimately why did uh, Clifford reclaim it and Levis decide to leave? Yeah, so the usage of Will Levis to me last year was one of the most puzzling things. Um they used him as a battering ram. It was coming, big body guy, third and short, run the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very predictable. I mean, there was a stretch. I want to say it got up to like around 30 where there were like 30 plays where he came in and ran the ball and we're like, okay, is this guy going to attempt to pass? Like you're putting mm-hmm. him on the field. Like what the heck? Uh, we had always heard about Will has this big arm, this and that. Well, we didn't really see it. And then he makes that spot start after they bench Clifford. But then he struggles and turns the ball over. So then they put Clifford back in the game. And it's like, okay, if you have two quarterbacks, clearly you don't have one. And Mm -hmm. so everything shakes out the way it does. Sean gets the job back. And then next thing you know, Will Levis is in the transfer portal and heads to Kentucky, which he should have arrived there by now because he graduated from Penn State uh, earlier this month. So Mm. he's looking to compete for the starting job at Kentucky. It left Penn State with only three scholarship quarterbacks this spring. Uh, Penn State is still looking for another arm in the transfer portal. But at this point, you know, Sean Clifford has to be your guy because his backup, Taquan Roberson, um, has no game experience. So you're looking at Taquan, and then you've got Christian Veyu, who arrived as an early enrollee this spring. So quarterback depth is concerning, but yeah, I mean, the regression of Sean Clifford last year was absolutely baffling. And, you know, I think a lot of people want to chalk it up to, and maybe this is rightfully so, um, 
the disjointed offseason that he had, and mm-hmm. they had a new offense with Kirk Sharaka, and Clifford had made the point this spring, which I thought was a really telling one, that Parker Washington comes on, the freshman receiver has a breakout year. Clifford wasn't throwing with Washington until like two weeks before the season because they were in separate mm-hmm. training groups because of COVID protocols. So, you know, you really have all these different factors that we, I think we, and I'm sure it's probably the same for you, Scott, like we keep mm-hmm. hearing more and more about last season and these little things behind the scenes that maybe got glossed over in season or they didn't want to tell us how annoying it was to go through testing every day early in the morning oh, and these man. kinds of things. But we're starting to hear more of it now. So I think last year for Penn State was like this perfect storm of everything going wrong. And then on top of that, they had a bunch of injuries. But yeah, I mean, Sean Clifford is their quarterback now. And Mike Yersich is the new OC and Mike's going to have to kind of fix Sean Clifford. Yeah, right. Let's get into that a little bit. Uh, you know, with uh, Kirk Soraka, uh, the one-year experiment, it really just looked disjointed. I thought he did a really good job with Minnesota. I pay a lot of attention to the Gophers mm-hmm. over the years. And and their 2019 year when they're with uh, Rashad Bateman and Tyler Johnson and Tanner Morgan looked like a, a superhero <laughs> quarterback. They had other – Antoine uh, Winfield I mean, they, Jr. on that defense, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they were they were really good. Um, and I thought, oh, man, he's going to translate that offense over to, to Penn State where uh, they recruited a little bit higher level, certainly. I mean, even though I would say Johnson and, and Bateman yeah. are as good as they gets at that position group, it just never worked. It never clicked. And I think a lot of what you said about the offseason, and this was true for everybody, whether it was the team I cover or everybody's team, that there it was just really rough. And, and I think in the Big Ten it was even worse because you had, um, you know, two-plus two months of, of question marks for all these people. But uh, what didn't work? How did – in your eyes, why didn't it work? And was it the right move to just – go ahead and pull the plug and and go new at that position or at that uh, leadership position. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think the interesting thing there with Shiraka is that, you know, James Franklin hires him because he whips Penn state the year before. I mean, they they go in Mm -hmm. there and Brent Price defense just absolutely gets gashed by that, Mm -hmm. that Minnesota team. So you say, okay, it makes sense in that Shiraka has ties to Pennsylvania. He's a Pennsylvania guy. You know, he told us a story about he grew up, you know, sneaking into a game in Beaver Stadium. So, like, you had these regional ties that made sense. Uh, Everybody looked at what he was able to do with quarterbacks when he was at Delaware and had Joe Flacco. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then, to me, where kind of the uncertainty comes in is how much of it was his offense versus how much of it was this hybrid blend of what Penn State had done previously that they liked, that they wanted to keep, versus what Shiraka uh, was supposed to bring. And I think that's where it gets really interesting because throughout last, last season, as I'm talking to you know people who had played and had ran the Shiraka offense, I'm talking to them and I'm like, okay, like, well, do you see, you know, I get it, offenses change and they evolve over time, but like, do you see like a Kirk Shiraka offense? I'm like, no, this isn't it. So for me, it was kind of like, okay, this was more of a hybrid offense than Kirk's. Um, And I think that maybe is why you had some of the issues. But on top of that, I mean, the injuries were really bad. And you look at the running back position, you lose your Mm -hmm. starter, Noah Kane, um, in the first quarter of that game at Indiana. And so while they had a ton of depth there, I mean, you were depleted right away. And by the way, this is after Journey Brown medically retires that summer because of a health condition. So, you know, you just kind of had all of these things snowballing and then your quarterback is making plays that you've never seen him make before and not in a good way. I mean, he's fumbling the ball. He's throwing interceptions left and right. He's trying to force things. Um, Everything just used the word disjointed. And I think that's spot on. Like everything just looked like a mess more often than not with that offense. And so I think, you know, it was a move by James Franklin this offseason that I thought was very telling. The fact that I think he could have easily said, you know what, Kirk, last year was a mess. We all know it was a mess, but it was a weird year. Um, we're going to try this again. But the fact that he didn't and he said, you know what, we're parting ways. We're hiring Mike Yersich. who gets let go at Texas uh, and says, Yersich is my guy. That's who I'm hiring. This is what we're doing. That's a big move. That's a bold mm-hmm. move. Um You know, that's a move also you can look at financially, potentially with some ramifications for Penn State because of the buyout in his contract. Mm -hmm. And 
Sharaka now is a, uh, I believe, a consultant at West Virginia. So, you know, he's not coaching anywhere. So does Penn State yeah. still have to pay that buyout? Potentially, mm-hmm. yes. Um, so, yeah, to me, the Yursich hiring is also because James Franklin wanted him before, was interested in him before. So the fact that had Yursich not been available, I think Penn State would have been content going with Kirk Sharaka for another year. But the guy they really want, the guy at least Franklin really wants, comes available, he makes the hire. Uh, but now you're you're out of excuses, right? Like if Sean Clifford mm-hmm. struggles this year, um, if the offense is a mess, like it, it all is going to come back around. Um, and so it's, it's a fascinating year for Penn State right now. Yeah, I, I don't know if, let's say it's eight and four. I mean, because that is a, a challenging schedule. I mean, if you're going to Camp Randall, probably a full stadium there. If you're going to Kinnick Stadium, probably mm-hmm. a full stadium there. Those are the two best teams in the West. Can we you're say, playing, Scott, probably a night game in Kinnick? Because I feel like that's what we're all destined for these days with these two teams. Yes. You know what? I, I looked this up. The last time that Iowa and Penn State played where the game didn't end under the lights was 2004, that 6-4 wow. to four game. <laughs> and that's <laughs> that all that should have been under the lights. Yeah, right. It was should have been under the lights with, and then I had them turn off. That's pretty much how <laughs> offense ran that night. Uh, but uh, but I mean, if you're going to Wisconsin, if you're going to Iowa, you're well going to Ohio State, a nine and three season, which I think is reasonable. I mean, based on that schedule, uh, and, and, and Auburn too. I'll throw them in there. Uh, you know, nine and three, eight and four, which I think people could objectively look and say, oh, that that's not a bad year, all things considered. At Penn State, I think you're going to start to see that, okay, is James Franklin the right guy? Does I mean, what would what would happen if, let's say they, they lose those West Division games by a, by a touchdown, they lose by whatever to Ohio mm-hmm. State, and then Auburn or somebody else snipes them, Michigan or, or Indiana. Does that, uh, how does, what, what is, what do you foresee for the offseason being if that happens. I mean, I feel like, and I just did the uh, the Penn State fan survey on The Athletic, and I, I love doing that because you always get some really interesting uh, candid answers from fans. And, you know, I kind of look at, like, approval ratings, so to speak, mm-hmm. of, you know, how do you think James Franklin's doing? What's the state of the program? Um, and the fans that I polled, there are like 500 of them at least, and they said that um, they would give Franklin, like, a four out of five. So, like, the state of the program's right. pretty solid. However, um, the loudest or the smallest fraction of the fan base is always the loudest, right? So mm-hmm. the people, should they go say eight and four, that group is going to get very, very, very loud. Um, and I think that's where you kind of have to say, like, has Penn State reached, you know, the top? They've, they've maxed out, have they? And are they coming kind of back down to reality now? That's what I wonder because, you know, everybody looks at it and they say, well, okay, if you couldn't get in the playoff with Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley, or how are you any closer to doing that now? And I feel like that's also an unfair assessment because right. you always have to play Ohio State. Uh, you know, and last year was was a mess for so many other reasons that we already outlined. But yeah, I mean, I think Penn State is at a really fascinating crossroad right now because it's like they're almost, you feel like it's almost a rebuild uh, in a way. And you say, okay, um, we can look at, Fans weren't over the moon by any stretch of the imagination with the 2021 signing class. So you look at 2022, things look to be doing a heck of a lot better in that regard. Um, But again, how comfortable can you feel if you're Penn State with your quarterback position after the way Sean Clifford played last year? Are you going to get Sean Clifford that helped take this team to a cotton ball two years ago? Or are you going to get the guy who got benched last year? And that to me is, you know, that's the big question. And so, this is not the year that you want to open with Wisconsin and then play Auburn week three. I mean, with, with a new offense, right. they're going to be up against it. And you had mentioned earlier, Scott, about Camp Randall and, you know, the possibility of fans. Um, keep in mind, these teams, you know, the Big Ten, they didn't have to deal with crowd noise last year. Mm-hmm. So, oh, hey, by the way, new offense, you want to go really up-tempo. Welcome to Camp Randall, um, potentially with fans week one. That's going to be a challenge for sure. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Wisconsin brings back just about everybody on defense. They weren't as good last year, certainly sacking quarterbacks. I, I saw them play, you know, an average game. Mm-hmm. They got beat pretty handily at Iowa by t- three touchdowns, but they, they still have a very active defense. That's, you know, all the linebackers are back. So uh, I, they're going to be challenged, you know, in an up-tempo system, they can flatten you out in, a, in a, within a minute per possession, and then you're dead in the water. So that could be a that could be a really tough one. It could be a good indicator because Wisconsin didn't have the best year either last yeah. year. So that's going to be fascinating. And I'm really interested. We should know sometime this week, I believe, what the first week times are. But uh, the Big Ten went crazy with you know in conference games to start that week, and they're going to try to put one on that Friday. And, it, you know, Wisconsin's opened on a Friday for years now. And I wondered if Penn State, Wisconsin's going to be on the Friday or is that going to be the, the noon Eastern kickoff on Saturday and say Indiana and Iowa would be the Friday? Because that's a really good that's a good too, Yeah, so. that's a great point, Scott. I, I didn't think of that. Um, that's a I just I would assume or at least my assumption to this point. But now you throw Friday in there, which is which is an interesting wrinkle. Potentially, um, I assumed it would be like a noon kick Saturday. Yeah. Right, because they're not going to give me a later game on my birthday because the scheduling gods love me, um, and that's that's <laughs> what luck. I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. So here comes like probably a three thirty kick or something atrocious, uh, but yeah, that's true. I mean, the, the whole Friday night element to all of these games, I still kind of forget about sometimes because it's you know still new, and I know James Franklin absolutely despises the Friday kicks, as I'm sure every every coach in the Big Ten probably does. But yeah, um, it's we, we know one start time for Penn State so far, and that is that the Auburn game in Beaver Stadium week three is going to kick at 7.30 p.m. So that, I don't know, Scott, potentially that could be the whiteout game. Yeah, Assum- Assuming true. there's fans, you know, we'll see where that goes, but that could be could be their whiteout. Yeah, and what a game that would be. Uh, there, there's, yeah, I really like what Penn State has in their first, really their first three games, because even... Ball State's pretty decent. Yeah. You know, our, our colleague Chris Fanini did a really good profile on his state of the program. I think it ran Sunday on Ball State. And I, I do think this is a team that's it's capable of causing some problems for Penn State if, let's say, it loses at Camp Randall, mm-hmm. Ball State at home. That's not your typical let's get better Mac opponent. No, I'm not saying that they'll lose. I'm not even – I wouldn't right. even predict that. But – sometimes you play good Mac teams and they can frustrate you. And if they have some veterans and you're getting the fourth quarter and it's a close game, that's where the pressure really tilts to the, the big 10, uh, you know, team and the other team feels the momentum. And I see that in a lot of cases I have over the years. And then you play, and then one of the great to me cross regional games is, is uh, Auburn at Penn state on the, which is my birthday, you know, oh, but hopefully, nice. Hopefully Kent State at Iowa is at 11, but you know, the <laughs> schedule's hard to predict. But no, I, I really like this because I like it when the SEC and Big Ten lock up. I mean, I don't have a problem with the West Coast games and all that, but those two conferences are really the two powerhouses when it comes to just attention and, and friction. So to have this uh, series and this game, I think is just fascinating and and a new coach for Auburn as well. So I think it it could be really you know an intriguing matchup just as far as styles. Um, and then yeah, as you mentioned, a night game could be a whiteout. Hey, that, that this to me is like okay, college football is back. Well, you know? and I think Scott too, and I made this point last week um, on the athletic. If you're Penn State and you say okay, you know. If you make this your whiteout game, I think they absolutely should because this is your chance to say to the SEC, "Hey, this is what we do here. You know, this is this is our marquee under the lights game." Um, and Ohio State 
it's out there this year. It's not in Beaver Stadium, right? So you're not going right. to do that. And Penn State's gotten into this routine mm-hmm. where it's either Ohio State seemingly or Michigan that are your whiteout games. So I say mix it up this year. Do it with Auburn. Uh, you're, you do it in September. Uh, now people might say, hey, it's not going to be super, super dark yet. It's 730 It'll be dark enough. The lights will be on. You'll still get the same effect. But I just think it's a really cool chance to showcase that to the SEC. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, you turn around and then go to Auburn the following year, which is going to be tremendous. I really can't wait for that. Yeah, what what a great uh, series. I like the fact that Penn State can do that. Iowa is landlocked because mm-hmm. of the Iowa State series. And it's probably a lot like if if Penn State and Pitt decided we're just going to play each other. And, oh, and please, never Scott, leave. please, please don't, don't bring that up. That's going to get people <laughs> all riled up. But, yeah, you know, you're exactly yeah. right. Yeah, and it gets really – it's it's fascinating because it is the biggest day of the state. And this year, notwithstanding, it's the biggest game they've ever had against one another. But, but uh, there's a group of Iowa fans in particular, probably 25%, that say – we got to get rid of this. We got to go out and, and play other teams in other regions. And um, so that, that's interesting with Penn state just to be able to do that. And, and I, I would love to see the, I, I mean, I like the whiteouts anyway, there's nothing like 107,000 people waving white pom-poms singing uh, or, you know, humming or whatever uh, seven nation army, you know, every 15 to 20 yeah. seconds, but uh, <laughs> you know, which I think is kind of the, the unofficial theme song of the big 10 East division is seven nation army, but now, just to see that in person. And I think in September, because we didn't get a real football season last year, I think this would be, wow, college football's back. Here's two teams from two different regions. And I agree with you, you know, p- Auburn's going to drive up to that, to their big erector set and yep, known as yep. uh, Beaver Stadium. They're going to go, well, well, this isn't much. And then they're going to go in and again, 107,000 people all in white. And uh, then then they'll realize, okay, we're in a real environment too. So and I think I too, love that. Scott, I mean, the other part of it is, and you touched on it. I mean, these fans had waited so long and we're still, you know, waiting to see, cause the big 10 of course is going to let it up to the local guidelines this year, instead of one blanket yeah. mandate on fans. But you know, Michigan's preparing to have fans. The big house made that known the end of last week. Um, so, you know, if you're Penn state, while nothing's official yet fan wise, these people have waited very, very long. Uh, give them a whiteout in September. And then if you want to do something else later in the year, they've done like mm-hmm. the stripe out before and that kind of right. thing. So you always have that idea to play with. But yeah, uh, getting a night game early on like that is going to be really, really tremendous. Yeah. And why why not do two? Say, hey, this one makes up for last year. And, yeah. I mean, uh, people won't you know, argue you can add with one. It. Yeah. Yeah. You can add one. It's fun. It's there's no mandate. It's not an official. It's not homecoming. You know, you can't only have one <laughs> per year. You know, nobody really knows what homecoming is, but they remember what the whiteout is. Just like you know, all, all little all programs have those little, you know, in, interesting little wrinkles, I suppose. But uh, and going through a little bit more of uh, Penn State, especially on offense. Uh, I saw, you know, Noah Kane a few years ago and I thought, okay, this guy's the real deal. And Mm -hmm. then he didn't play that much. And then he got hurt last year. Um, is it kind of him and Devin Ford as a kind of a one, two punch, uh, or is somebody else in there uh, ready to emerge? Yeah, you're right, Scott, because that Iowa game, that was the Noah Kane like coming out party two years ago. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, so then he gets banged up at the end of that season. Then last year gets hurt in the season opener, misses the whole year. Uh, he was able to do some stuff this spring, so they're anticipating he's going to be you know, completely fine by fall camp time. But I, I think the challenge there is... My guess, my best assumption, assuming he's healthy, because again, he hasn't made it through a season healthy at this point, but Noah Kane is your one, but who that two is, is up for debate. I think it's either Devin Ford or it's Kevon Lee who stepped in last year when Ford was hurt and Kane was hurt. uh, And the then freshman looked really good doing it and looked really powerful. So they've got a lot of depth there. Um, They also added John Lovett, a grad transfer from Baylor. So they've got plenty of depth there, but it's just, okay, after all the injuries this group had the year before, can they make Mm -hmm. it through healthy? But yeah, I mean, at this point with Noah Kane, I mean, you're looking at 
you have to go back to the Cotton Bowl at that point, which feels like an eternity ago to <laughs> yeah. think of like, okay, that was a game. He looked really good in the Cotton Bowl, but you know, you have to go back that far just because that's what happens when you get hurt, you know, in the first yeah. quarter of, of the season opener and miss the rest of the year. So yeah, they've got a lot of talent there uh, at running back, but to me, it's also, okay, how much will we see these running backs catching passes in this offense? Uh, is this something that maybe we'll see more of? Uh, because they've got the talent and they've got the depth to do it. And you look at Penn State's receiving core, and it's okay. You've got Jahan Dotson. You've got Parker yeah. Washington, which is a tremendous yeah. one-two. But yeah. who's that third receiver? And that, to me, is, is kind of the question there. I'll be fascinated to see if Urich can kind of blend everybody mm-hmm. together and turn it into what it was. And, and Saquon Barkley, in a decade with the Big Ten had maybe – I can't think of a decade where they had better running backs across the board from Ezekiel Elliott and Melvin Gordon. And, and But I think Barkley was the best, and I really do. Um, with him and Trace McSorley and the receivers, I, I thought when you had him with Joe Morgan – and one thing Joe Morgan did better than any offensive coordinator I've seen in, in the Big Ten is I think you mean Morehead, found, right? Yeah, Morehead, Joe Morehead. Yeah. Did, I, did I say more? No. Yeah, Morgan. I think you're thinking of Tanner <laughs> oh, Morgan. You know, you're stuck uh, on. I, I, I must have had a hiccup in my throat <laughs> or something. Frog Monday. Uh, but what uh, Morehead <laughs> was able to do better than most is he found the weakness and he exploited it mm-hmm. time after time after time. And I saw that. Um, in the one blowout where I was at Beaver stadium in 2016, when they isolated Iowa's weak side linebacker and went, okay, this is a, a matchup we can exploit with Saquon Barkley. And of course, Trace McSorley was just fantastic all that year and really his whole career and killed people that way. And I, I wonder if George can do the same thing because maybe there's no Saquon Barkley. No, yeah. Let's not kid ourselves, but <laughs> You know, Miles Sanders was pretty damn good too. Yeah. But I, I do think these guys are good. They're NFL caliber, at least, you know, what I saw. Oh, them. absolutely. So I wonder if there's a, a way to, if if he can do, if George can do the same thing as Moorhead did, which is, oh, I see that weakness and I'm going to exploit it time after, after time. Then I think this team's capable of being in every game. Uh, you know, whether they win them or not, you know, that, that'll depend on pass yeah. rush and other things. No, I, I, I think that's a possibility. And I think, Scott, their big thing or what they're hoping for is that this tempo that they want to use, the, you know, multiple tempos, that that can kind of be their equalizer. That it can be, yeah. you know what, hey, we can wear teams down, that we get to the fourth quarter, it's going to be a battle of fitness. And are we, you know, are we mm-hmm. as more fit as an offense um, to kind of wear down defenses? But, you know, I think you had touched on it earlier. That's a tough thing to do if you're not moving the ball then you keep throwing your defense back out there um Mm -hmm. that that can be a challenge for sure but yeah they've got enough pieces they've got enough weapons on this offense but it just it comes back to the quarterback I mean you look at their tight ends last year Pat Fryermuth plays well then gets hurt but you had Theo Johnson and Brenton Strange step in there two guys who are going to take on big roles this year um back to that kind of that unknown number three receiver spot You've got two more than capable tight ends, both as blockers and pass catchers. So maybe we see more of those guys and a little less of that third receiver, just because I think that's where they're they're kind of more better suited right now. I think that's more of a strength. So yeah, the, the Mike Yersich experience is going to be really interesting because he's got a lot to work with. Um, they had, you know, the normal off season, the normal spring, they're back on campus now training, but again, for an offense that's had so many changes in transitions, it's yet again another coordinator, and this time you got to get it right. I think even with all the mixing up of the offense, and, and this is a different year since you've had spring football at Penn State, uh, you're going to have summer workouts, you're going to have tr- full training camp. Um, you know, so I think there's a chance to, to make that work early in the, in the year. But to me, I think the big question, especially in week one, is going to be defensive line. Mm-hmm. And last year, I, I would say, uh, you know, what, how do you pronounce this now? Odafe uh, Owe <laughs> used to be Jason oh, Owe. Odafe Owe, yes. Odafe, yeah. I'm sorry. Thanks for correcting me. And Shaka Tony, who I've seen have some really big games over the years, um, they didn't come out and play as well as you'd think mm-hmm. they would and ha- replacing three out of four up front, although PJ Mustafer is a really good player. 
Um, I think going against that offensive line and that running game, even though it wasn't that potent at Wisconsin, it's still going to be. I think that's going to be the real key early on is, you know, on defense, because they seem to have a pretty good back seven. So what's kind of your assessment right now of uh, the defense? Yeah, the the front four is the biggest question mark. You're you're spot on with that. Uh, P.J. Mustafer comes back. And the interesting thing with P.J., uh, he had told us this spring that he changed and transformed his body. Uh, that last year he didn't think that they played the run particularly well. He took that on himself and said, you know what, like the, the weight that he, he had been going up and down and trying to find a consistent weight. Um, so he he's really that leader up front, that vocal guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can put Hakeem Beeman next to him, which is a guy who flashed last year, but we didn't see a whole heck of a lot of him. Um, it was kind of in spurts. So what's the consistency look like? And then you've got to replace both of your defensive ends. And that, to me, is the question mark. Uh, that's, okay, what do you do? You, you have Adisa Isaac. You have Arnold Ebicady, who is a transfer from Temple, who they picked up, who they think is going to be a really good transfer portal addition to them, who's going to push for a starting spot. Uh, and then you have Nick Tarberton, who's been injured most of his time at Penn State, but was finally healthy this spring, was working with the ones throughout spring ball. So you've got three guys that you feel pretty good about. And then you also have Derek Tangelo in there on the interior, a Duke grad transfer who they picked up through the portal. So they went into that transfer portal looking for help, looking for difference makers up front because they needed it. And they were able to at least sign two guys that have to give you some some hope, some experience. But yeah, I mean, you're going to have to be able to, one, show that you can stop that run at Wisconsin. But two, what kind of pass rush are they going to generate this year? To me, that's the question because we can look at, you know, the pressure numbers from away last year and there were a million pressures, but he didn't have a sack. You know, right. you can look at Shaka Tony and how he was kind of streaky and it was hit or miss and he'd, he'd stuff the stat sheet against Indiana, but then, you know, you weren't consistently getting those performances. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the front seven um, is going to be what's going to make or break this defense, what ultimately, Scott, might make or break this team because that front four to me is is the big question. Yeah, right. Because there's going to be, you know, you look at it on paper and there's going to be between four and six or seven games even mm-hmm. where it's going to come down to probably a possession or two. At the, you know, and, and if the second possession is late fourth quarter possession, you know, whether it's a 10 point game or whatever. So defensive line, the ability to stop the run and you know, whether it's uh, you know, here comes the, uh, the pin and pull from, from Wisconsin yeah. <laughs> in week one. And, and it's, you know, 330 pounds slamming into your, you know, weak side defensive end. That's going to be the difference between forcing a punt and, and getting rolled up on your back. So yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how that kind of all develops and, and uh, you know, whether it's the big 10 or what, but there's no, Hey, let's feel this out. It's not, even if the, the schedule was flipped ball mm-hmm. state for, uh, for Wisconsin, Wisconsin week in week one, that would be something different, you know? And frankly, it's, it's a real similar situation here where you got Indiana and Iowa state in week one and two. And then after that, it's Kent state and Colorado state, but uh, that's altogether different. So uh, what's, what's kind of your thoughts on the big 10 right now this year? I mean, Penn or uh, Ohio state loses, uh, you know, a, a quarterback that I think is, is destined to become an NFL pro bowler very soon. Oh man. Are you just you saying know, this Scott because of where he went or is this, I'm just, yeah. Yeah. I just my no, assessment. I, I thought he was really good. I yeah. think he could do the same thing at the NFL, and probably this year. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe yeah, let's let's I, uh, I, I see. let's turn I this see. into some Packers Bears talk, Scott. Let's really give the listeners what they want. <laughs> uh, but no, that I, I think you're spot on with, with Justin Fields because to me that's the that's the question with Ohio State, right? It's what happens at quarterback, and can any of these other teams, especially in the East, make up some ground on the Buckeyes this year? Do they look mm-hmm one step closer to like human levels this year after being superhuman with Justin Fields for so long. Right. I mean, I think if you're any of these other teams in the East, you're saying, all right, this is our shot. Um, I don't think Penn state is any closer to making that push on Ohio state right now, but it is interesting to me, at least that the door is 
cracked open a bit, I guess you could say, right, without mm. Justin Fields. But you still got Chris Olave to deal with. Um, mm. Their defense is always going to be, I feel like their defensive mm. line is always going to be really good, really talented. And, oh, yeah, Penn State, you've got to go out there this year to the horseshoe. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, uh, we'll see there. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's also Indiana. And um, what happens to them after last year, right? Like, was mm. that a kind of a one-hit wonder? Are they here to stay? Um, I don't know, Scott. Do you, do you think they have staying power here? Yeah, I think they're going to be competitive. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, you know, they they won some close games. They, again, I, I don't, they took advantage of a down East mm-hmm. that we've never seen. Even in years past when teams have kind of struggled or not played as well, you've never seen them be able to run that gauntlet of Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State, and went through. And then they also went to Camp Randall and won with a backup quarterback. So they've had, they had such a good year, but you can't count on, those teams struggling every year. I mean, I, I think Michigan will be better. I don't know how much better. They can't be much worse than what I saw, <laughs> um, you know, and, ba- and basically deciding to throw up the white flag for their final two games. Um, and then, you know, Penn State will be better. Then again, that I, I agree with you. I, I watched the game was on last week again be, on BTN, the Penn State Indiana game. And it looked to me like that ball hit out of bounds before it hit the pylon. But yeah, that's not the way they called it. And uh, so that's what happened. I, if Michael Penix is back, he's a difference maker. I think, you know, he was the second best quarterback in the big 10 last year. He can do things that other people can't do, but I think if it's not him or if he's not playing very well, I think they slump back. I mm-hmm. think they're a bowl team, but I don't think they are a challenger necessarily to Ohio state. And, and they've got to go to Kinnick in the first game. So in their case, they're going to go to a, a pretty raucous environment too against a team that was playing as well as anybody in the Big Ten by the end of the year. They won six straight, five of them by two touchdowns or more. So that's going to be a challenge uh, for him and for them. So it could work the exact opposite for them. They could lose that first game and then their momentum goes down. So the East is really it's fascinating because I, I don't know what to think of Maryland. It uh, looks like Rutgers is better. Yeah, that know? was going to be my next question. What do we make of Maryland? I mean, they absolutely embarrassed Penn State last year. I mean, that was that was one of those program statement wins for Maryland. And then you look at, you know, they had a lot of COVID issues and stuff there on out. Um, Penn State was able to get all nine games into nine weeks, which we can say that whether that was fortunate or unfortunate, depending, you know, I think the fans were, were kind of fed up with Penn State at that point yeah. in that offense. But yeah, uh, to me, that that's the question is kind of can Maryland shift or tilt anything uh, in this division? Because Rutgers is at least they're recruiting better. And so I think yeah. it's going to take some time for them to get there. Um, so, you know. How long is that, Scott? Who the heck knows <laughs> how long it takes? But yeah, I think Maryland is kind of maybe the X factor in all of this. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, you just kind of look at it and you say, okay, Michigan State, who knows? Um, I feel like Penn State goes out there this year, uh, which I think means that we're guaranteed to have like a rainy, miserable gray day because I feel like. <laughs> Every yes. time I'm at Spartan Stadium, um, it either pours or you get that massive lightning delay or something. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so Penn State goes back out there this year. But I don't – I mean, I don't – Michigan State maybe is a team that threatens this particular Penn State team. Um, but, again, by that point in the year, these teams are going to look so different. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel like it's later in this season. I think it actually might be the last game of the regular season for Penn State. Mm-hmm. Um where if it was earlier in the season, maybe I'd think it was more of a threat, you know, but it's, I just feel like with Penn state, you don't know what you're going to get, especially from an offense after it was so inconsistent last year. I think that is the ultimate theme. What you just said for the whole entire East division. I don't know what we're going to get. Yeah. And Ohio state, we know mostly what we're going to get, but can, what is it? CJ Stroud, I think is the quarterback, Mm -hmm. you know, can he be, anything close to, you know, forget Justin Fields, but can he be like uh, Cardale Jones? Can yeah. he be like uh, just somebody um, upper level? I mean, Penn State, I think Penn State's probably the second best team because I just think they have the second best talent. And they did look the part a little bit more in the last part of yeah, the year. Yeah, one four in a row to finish it out. Yeah. yeah. 
Michigan is the biggest question mark in the country to me because (laughs) I've never seen a quality program quit the way it did against Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. That was a quit with a capital Q. And then late in the year, it was a white flag. We don't want to play Ohio State. You know, their, their COVID numbers unless your con- unless your contact tracing is 100% their covid numbers were not that low. Michigan State did not look very good um most of the year. I mean when I saw them they got beat 49 to 7. So maybe <laughs> they played better. They certainly played better against Northwestern, but Indiana, can they do it again? Uh Maryland, they were 2 and 3. It's hard to read into that because yeah. they did play so well against Minnesota and uh, you know, look at their games. <laughs> they got beat what 40 to three by Northwestern. And then they beat Minnesota and Penn state and look good doing it. And, and Rutgers, I do think the floor has been raised if nothing else with Greg Schiano, mm-hmm. that he knows how to build a program to be a, a tough, hard nosed program that'll compete. Whether that means they'll be good. I don't know, but I think it's not any more like, okay, I think we could shut these guys yeah. out. It's more like, yeah, we need to play well and we, we should win, but it's going to be a tough out. Yeah, they're not a doormat anymore is what I was thinking. You know, it's, it's hey, it's a team that, like, I think you're spot on when you say they're going to play hard, right? They, mm-hmm. they maybe are going to give you a fight for part of the game. And uh, when Penn State was there a few years ago and they ran that disaster of a Philly special play attempt. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, they were giving Penn State a little bit of pause there, you know? They kind of had them on upset alert for a little bit. And I think that's what... That's what you have to look at, I think, with a team like Rutgers right now, is maybe they can surprise some people. But yeah, it, even though it's May 24th, which I feel like is peak Michigan football hype season, where everybody <laughs> says, you know, oh yeah, this yeah. is the year, blah, 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 you know. I, we've been there before, Scott. I, I The last mm-hmm. couple of years, I'm like, I'm not doing it. Uh, until they yeah. prove otherwise, I'm not doing it. Um, but yeah, I think you're spot on. That's the team that none of us have any idea what's going to happen there because it just seems to be so kind of, kind of so crazy. And then you, people hype it up and they just get let down. And so, yeah, right. We're, we're staying away and, from it. Yeah. And uh, it's the same thing in reverse in this part with Nebraska. Yeah. yeah same I can see exact, that. Uh, they are the, the Kings of recruiting and, you know, in the spring and summer, they're back. You better recognize they're back. They're going to be what they were. And then all of a sudden it's like, uh, do you realize that up until beating Purdue that you had a, your last most recent game gets every West division team you've lost Illinois and everybody else. You've, I think they've lost what six in a row to Iowa eight in a row. I want to say to Wisconsin seven and eight. So it's just been, it's been a disaster for Nebraska, but I think what's fascinating. I, I really want to, I'm I'm interested in the Penn State view on this, Mm -hmm. on the East versus West, because James Franklin was probably the one coach who came out the most forcefully, I would say, about some sort of change when it came to divisional play or Mm -hmm. or championship requirements and stuff, because I've I've analyzed it really closely. And the East has a, a regular season advantage, 66 to 60. So it's only six games difference. And, and Ohio State's only lost twice since they went to this east-west divide. Everybody else is fairly tiered, as you'd expect. Um, you know, Penn State and Michigan, uh, you know, last year notwithstanding, is, you know, pretty much the same standing as Iowa and Wisconsin. And, and then there's going to kind of filter down from there. But is, you know, considering Wisconsin and Iowa, I mean, the floor in the West seems to be higher, but the ceiling tends to be lower and it's kind of reverse in the East. Is the floor the think? ceiling, Scott, or are we? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Wisconsin's pretty good. Yeah. You know, they've, they've yeah. come through, but, but really in some ways you could say in the, the big 10 as a whole, there's a, a couple of tiers. One is reserved for Ohio state. Mm-hmm. That's won five out of the seven and, and four straight. Then it's kind of this mix of Iowa, Wisconsin, Northwestern at times, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State maybe. at times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then kind of everybody else filters from there. What's from Penn State's view, what's kind of the right layout? I mean, is it to get out of the Ohio State bucket? So maybe mm-hmm. you can play them in, in, a, yeah. in Indianapolis or is it um, just keep working at it and see what happens? I think the way it's set up with the two divisions, uh, if you're Penn State, yeah, you always got to look at it and say, all right, well, great. How are we ever going to get to a title game? Well, we're only going to get there if we beat Ohio State. 
Um, and that's the challenge where I think we've seen so many, how many times, Scott, have we seen, you know, the Ohio State Wisconsin title game in Indiana? Like, it just seems like it's like, okay, well, we can pencil in Wisconsin from the West and we can pencil in Ohio State from the East. Um, the thing that I really liked about last year was that Champions Week, I guess is what they called it, um, the, the, the crossover, like the regular season finale, uh, where you got to see some of these different matchups. And I think, like, I wish that was something they would keep. But yeah, I mean, you've got these divisions, and do they make any sense? Are they helping you get your two best teams in the Big Ten title game? And I think we can make the argument that they aren't. I mean, I think you can look at it and you say, okay, well, you know, the West might have an easier path. But like you pointed out, it might maybe it's not as as far off as, as we think, because I think the Penn State perspective of it is, hey, this isn't fair because we got to keep playing Ohio State every single year, um, mm. you know, and then you throw Michigan in there and who knows what you're going to get from Michigan. But I guess then you could also make the argument and say, well, you get Maryland and Rutgers. Right. Um, you know, and I think one of the coolest things has been seeing this Penn State-Iowa, you know, series mm. take off. And I think Beaver Stadium, you get the great atmosphere here, but I love those trips to Kinnick and walking, you know, on the sideline, you're shoulder to shoulder between the stands mm. and the team's bench. But I just think that, yeah, like the Big Ten's kind of maybe pigeonholing itself in a little bit here with these divisions. Um, I don't know what the best format is for this kind of, do you have any crazy ideas, Scott? Any, you, have you, cause you've given this a lot of thought I know over time. Um, <laughs> what, what would I guess be your pitch to, to get rid of these? Would you get rid of the divisions? I guess. I, you know, I'm torn mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. One, I do like the divisions. Now, provincially for Iowa fans, it's the Iowa division. Yeah. Every team but one is on its border and Purdue might as well be. Yeah. It's just right across the border from Illinois. So, you, you know, that like this year, it's it's like hate month. The end of the season, you go to Wisconsin, <laughs> Northwestern, Illinois, uh, Minnesota, and, and Nebraska. But that said, I recognize the big picture. My biggest fear about this whole thing was, especially when we saw Ohio State really crush Wisconsin. That's only happened once. It's been pretty competitive for the most part, but but it kind of set the tone, is that you're going to see some sort of separation. And we've seen it over the years. The Big Ten East is so good and the West isn't. Well, that's not really accurate. It's just Ohio State's greater than everybody else. Yeah. and and But they represent the East, which makes it, you know, and it's seven to nothing in, in championship games. I think if this format doesn't work for everybody, I think every team should have three permanent series they play every year. For Penn State, Ohio State's got to be in there. Yeah. But then also probably because of proximity and, and the other teams, Maryland and Rutgers would probably be the other two. And then you can go to an eight-game regular season schedule and then play five teams one year, you know, like two years on, two years off. Mm -hmm. And then you're playing everybody twice within a four-year period. That's eight games. Then your ninth game is your championships, your champions week game. So it's a just a matchup week. Yep. And if you have teams like, let's say, out of that eight-game season, you have um, – Ohio State's eight and zero, Penn State seven and one, Wisconsin seven and one, and and you've got to do some sort of tiebreaker. Well, you could still have if you're Wisconsin and you lose the tiebreaker, you could still play a good team that week. So maybe if Penn State gets blown out in Indianapolis, then maybe Wisconsin beats Michigan or Michigan State and can still squeak into the playoff. Yeah. You know, so I think there's the matchups that can kind of work. Um, so I don't hate the, the divisional alignment. I kind of wondered there about four or five years ago if, if Michigan State and Purdue should switch because mm -hmm. it just seemed to me that it was is when Michigan State was good, then you had four teams. Yeah, it was really, really loaded. Yeah. Uh, but I do think right now and, – and Nebraska hasn't pulled its weight at all, so that's that's been a real problem. But I think uh, – you know, that might be the, the one route because then if you if everybody can protect three games, then, you know, I, I mean, Iowa had to deal with that. I know Penn State did a little bit when they went to the 12 games and they lost the Wisconsin series and they're only two and a half hours apart. It's a killer. It was a killer for both programs. They hated it. And uh, and so I, I don't think you'd want to lose a key rivalry, but I think three after three, it's kind of like, well, 
yeah, we're rivals, I guess. You know? Yeah, so. and that's I think that's that's a good point with Penn State because you're going to get Ohio State probably either way because that I mean yeah. that's become a game that fans enjoy, mm-hmm. right? Same thing, Penn State, Michigan, um, and we can always. Yeah. Seemingly, we have this discussion every year of who is Penn State's rival, and it's not Pitt because there's a whole generation yeah. of, of players and kids who grew up, um, you know, without that series, and now it's gone. But yeah, I mean, Penn State when they opened up was at Wisconsin this year, Scott. They haven't been out there since I believe it was 2012. So wow. they haven't been That's out incredible. to Camp Randall in a very long time, and so you know, I'm sure you're gonna have a lot of Penn State fans who want to make that trip out there. But it's just, it's bizarre. I mean, you kind of look at it and last year, you know, they, they go out to Nebraska and they hadn't been out there in a very long time either. So you added these teams, but it's like, hey, keep making that trip to Rutgers. Keep making that trip to Maryland. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it is what it is. Selfishly, I'd like to see them go out to Wisconsin more. I'd like to see them go yeah. out to Nebraska more. Um, yeah. And I could do with less Maryland and less Rutgers because it was like they were trying to force feed a rivalry here from the get go and it hasn't amounted mm-hmm. to that, you know? And we could have told you when this happened that it wasn't gonna yeah. amount to that. Uh right. but, you know, I don't know. Whatever they do, Scott, I think they should just go back to calling them legends and leaders. Forget the East <laughs> and the West. Yeah, just go back to legends Absolutely. and leaders. I had like a 12-part series on legends and leaders when Nebraska joined the league and how it <laughs> formed. I mean, it was it was a lot of fun to put together, but uh, the the names, yeah, left a, yeah. they weren't all that up there. But no, I, I mean, and Penn State's angle is interesting. And talking to one of your uh, you know Penn State beat writers, David Jones, about everything mm-hmm. over the years, but but like Iowa is like you know been in the Big Ten for a hundred. 20 plus years now. And, and so losing games and, you know, not annual games, but games against Michigan state and Michigan and Purdue. And, you know, this is, uh, they haven't played at Ohio state since 2013. And before, before that it was 2009, you know, so it's just, and and they're supposed to last year, but then it got canceled. So all these decent, old fashioned, Hey, we've been in the same league for a hundred years, you know, rivalries and, and series are gone basically. So I, I guess if I was to look at it, you know, Hey, let's wipe it clean. I go to an eight game schedule. Everybody protects three games and then you play five teams two years on and then two years off. And then you get everybody and you get to see every place and you get to see every, uh, uh, you know, you, you host every team and you travel to every team once in a four year period. Every player in the Big Ten gets to play at every venue. I think that's, that's awesome. in a four year period. I think that's cool. And then last game of the year. Hey, let's match it all up. And uh, and and because if we see a playoff expansion, mm-hmm. which we're going to, you can't continuously mm-hmm. add games at the end of it. And so I think that's your 12th game is yeah. your last game. It's just a matchup week. So then it's just open-ended and then you decide, all right, is it going to be in Indianapolis? Is it going to be a neutral site or, you know, what, and how do you determine that? I don't know. Maybe teams bid on it. But Scott, that, I, that say, I say you do champions week and you do it like Friday, Saturday and do yes. them all in Indy and just make mm-hmm. it like one big, big 10 Palooza in Indianapolis um, <laughs> and see, you know, and, and kind of see how much, I don't know with with the field logistically at Lucas Oil uh, how you would make that work, but maybe you kind of branch out and you know mm-hmm. you send a couple games over to Purdue if you need to, send some to Bloomington if you need. Yeah. Um, but I think that would be really cool to kind of have everything in Indianapolis and make it a big big spectacle. Yeah, I'm sure, it'd be fun. Football around the clock. Yeah, you know, they have those like wooden bat tournaments in Kansas and and Alaska in the summer where it's baseball around the clock. You can have a seven straight games, you know, from like 10 a.m. on Friday all the way up to the championship. Yeah, but, uh, no. I think it'd be great. You could do like a kegs and eggs type deal in the morning and just keep rolling yeah. it through the marquee game at like eight o'clock at night. You know, the, the Big Ten title game. I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think they need to return that to the night uh, yeah. last year, having that early, it didn't feel like it, especially because there were games after that. I think Penn state played Illinois, right? Like it, yeah. it was like the last game of the big 10 season. It was, it was a Saturday night game. Um, and that whole week was just bizarre because we didn't yeah. know if these games were happening and if so, where they were going to happen. Um, but yeah, it was Saturday night, a real barn burner of what was left of that Illinois yeah. roster. Um, yeah, it was and I, the Packers played, 
the Panthers that same night. So now you're competing okay. against Saturday night football because mm. you get toward the end of the NFL season. So it just yeah. the whole thing felt very, very weird. And I get it, you know, with the timing of the Big Ten season and, and you were going to run into some of that. Mm. But let's not do that again, Scott. Let's not redo mm. that 2020 Big Ten uh. on again, off again season because I, I don't know. It still feels surreal to me that that you know we went through uh, the longest off season of our lives covering mm-hmm. these programs and you know seasons happened but let's let's not do that again i completely agree it was the worst it was the most difficult challenging experience and i had an extra layer last summer that threw it made it even worse but it was just this whole you know and they pushed the season back it was funny i talked to uh Kerry Kenny with the Big Ten um, after each time they redid the schedule. <laughs> and the third time, he's like, let's never do this again, okay? <laughs> I went out for the 2020 schedule because it was like three times that I talked to somebody about redoing it. But no, I uh, let's let's hope that we get a normal season in, all fans. Um, at the end, we're talking about the great year we had and whether it ends up in, you know, Iowa's once again return trip to the Outback Bowl or Penn State uh, – <laughs> to the the last spot in the new year's six or wherever uh let's hope we have a great season so thanks again for for joining us uh today audrey it's been a lot of fun and and as always we want to thank you our legends and listeners for spending time with us and adding us to your podcasting rotation so please subscribe rate us and, and review us and for audrey snyder this is scott document thanks so much and have a wonderful week